Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for rice sports news and analysis. Uh, thanks to everybody that's been listening along with us for this um you know, I keep calling it extended off season, and I, I guess it's just because they, you know, we stopped in the middle of when sports were actually happening. But in terms of football, up to this point, the off season has been the same length as usual. I guess the question is whether it uh, <laughs> it continues to be the usual length. Well, um, it, it, it's funny because so my 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 kiddos right now are are very into all things Disney, and so we actually <laughs> right before the shutdown hit in, in February, we were able to uh, go out and take the family and, you know, we had to ride It's a Small World, right? Because of course. you yeah. do. That's kind of what this offseason has has felt like, where you, you get to a, <laughs> a new land, but that same chorus is going in the back of your head, yeah. like, there might not be football after all, but... <laughs> But eventually, like the ride ends. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully it ends sometime before the fall of 2021. So, you know, we <laughs> we will get there. Um, you know, I, 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 I will I will say and, and we'll we'll kind of bounce around. We'll hit some housekeeping things and, and then we'll get to a, a couple covid notes before we bring our, our guest on. But I will say I was talking with a. Uh, a coach this week who who reiterated to me his his confidence that there is going to be a football season played uh, at some point, <laughs> and I think at that point, you know, yeah. we're, we're, we've kind of ridden that uh, emotional roller coaster of we're never playing until twenty twenty eight. And of course, we're playing this fall. Are you crazy? So I think we're we're somewhere back towards fallish. Yeah, I, I think the, the current emotional state I'm in with regards to it's it's like it's going to happen, and I'm excited about that. But also, like it's probably a really bad idea for it to happen. So it's this strange mix of like excitement, but also sort of feeling bad about being excited because like maybe in a, in a sane and, and <laughs> sane and rational world, it would not be, but yeah, it's been a weird, it's, it's, it's been a very weird emotional journey. <laughs> and we'll, so uh, a couple quick things we'll get there. Of course, uh, rate review, subscribe. If you, uh, appreciate or enjoy the podcast and especially if if you're one of the folks that has has been through and and ridden through i what are we on like uh, 15 18 guests or so uh go ahead drop in the comments tell us who you uh, enjoyed who we need to get on the show uh you know find us anywhere you want you can get us on on twitter uh, at the roost or at the roost pod either of those and, and just let us know what you think we'd, we'd love for this to be especially we as we get into football again uh, a two-way street where, where we're talking with y'all and y'all are talking with us and on the football front uh, two more things if you are not subscribing uh, to the roost on patreon now whether or not there's football there is recruiting so that's a big thing we'll of course have recruiting notes practice notes all sorts of things going on up there you can go to the site and find information on that uh, you get in $10 a month. We'll give you everything, an updated list on Rice's offer. 
count and who's out there and what kind of targets are there. And as a part of that, a shout out to Elijah Page for subscribing this past, I guess it's this past week, COVID time is is still all wonky with me, uh, but for s- subscribing on our All-American tier there. So thank you for that. And as always, if you hadn't yet picked up our Conference USA preview, if you're a Marshall fan, it's well worth your read for five bucks. And then the Rice preview, there are 110 players on the Rice roster, and there are notes on all of them. And that's every single (laughs) every single one. Actually, we so there is one caveat and I have to cop to this, Carter. (laughs) I know you're exaggerating. I'm horrified. Next, there is Rice has picked up a graduate transfer long snapper. Who will be the backup long snapper. And I have yet to put anything about him in the preview. So. I have I'm, covered. I'm, I'm devastated. Everyone, <laughs> but but the backup transfer long snapper. But you know, maybe it, depending on how long this this off season uh, rolls on, maybe we'll get around to to getting him in. So, if you want to learn about everybody but the backup graduate transfer long snapper, um, which you probably need to know, I'm I'm making sure I get his his name up correctly right now i believe it's chris Sayan. is that correct this is why you come to the roost podcast yeah, yeah it is chris Sayan. extended Sayan backup long snapper discussion coming in for for princeton hey you know long snappers are people too i know i know we have a fullback contingent that listens to this show so so brian you know the the long snapper uh, extension of the conversation is for you so I think those are the uh, the housekeeping things. But on the actual football front, I will say I reported earlier uh, this week that Rice has their football team back on campus. For the most part, it was kind of a not not quite like shotgun wedding, but a all right, we have the all clear. Let's go. Everybody get back to campus. And so. Everybody got back. They had all of their testing, got everybody checked out. And actually on what day I'm losing all my days on, on Wednesday midweek, they had the defense in the nice new shiny bubble and the offense out sweating on the field. I guess they drew the uh, yeah. short stick, but uh, they I, I've been told that from from folks that they can't believe how much planning has gone into where to stand everyone when they're doing workouts and and instruction. Because if y'all remember Rice Stadium, right, from the Patterson Center, you have that long winding staircase and you just send 110 players down at once. You can't do that during COVID. It's not it's not approved. (laughs) Yeah, not so much. But in and staggered in tears there, they're back on campus and they're we're at the point of I, I guess that technically we're still operating under somewhat of a traditional football calendar where it's extended, you know, weight lifting and, and running and conditioning and basically classroom instruction, not actual practice yet. But yeah. but that is coming. And Carter, now that there are football players on campus at Rice, how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> Um, can I answer? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
I feel more comfortable with it right now than maybe I will when they start to return students to campus, which uh, I don't know if Rice has actually pushed that date back, but I mean, have, O-Week we normally... We about tents, have we? <laughs> did you see? I, I'm trying. I think it was I did the, see it. The, yeah, the Houston Chronicle that put it out. I want to credit whoever did it. Yeah, that it was Rice the was talking I can't about who wrote the story. Rice is talking about putting air conditioned tents for bring your own chair. Yeah, which I don't really. If they're closed tents that are air conditioned, I mean, obviously that is a necessity because you can't have a class outside in Houston in August because people will literally get heat stroke but if they're closed off in air conditioned it's kind of the same thing as being inside right like it sort of removes the the greater airflow benefit of being outside in the first place so i don't know i guess if the idea is just to give some like large like open plan classroom spaces to supplement the ones they have like i guess it makes a certain sense from that perspective but it or definitely maybe, looks weird when you when you look at a story. It's like we're going to have classes outside in Houston in August, and it's like, uh, mm, mm. maybe this is a, a test run. I know that you know upgrade plans. You know, supposedly Rice Stadium is the is the next thing on the docket, right? To to go about fixing. Maybe this is a test run for uh, putting a, a roof over Rice Stadium. I, I tell you what, people people jab at the what are we? It's a seventy year old stadium at this point built it built in 1950 so oh oh my goodness uh but i tell you even if if we put a roof over the 70 year old stadium every every team in conference usa would immediately be jealous (laughs) it would be uh quite the feat of engineering yeah, well, maybe depending on how long the off season goes, we'll we'll go bring we'll in. Well, yeah, we'll have time. There's some smart guys at Rice. We can figure out how to do we've it. We've got a few engineers. There we go. So maybe that's <laughs> this is your forewarning. If if we have uh, any delays, we we might get into. Uh, we'll have an engineering podcast. Uh, you know, Carter, you can you can teach us some uh, physics. <laughs> yeah, once when we get into like mid October with no football, and we're like. All right, here are our three craziest ideas for redesigning Rice Stadium. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we have some free time, we'll get there. But as of as of now, that there is scheduled to be football uh, at the stadium, and Rice, knock on all the wood, has twelve teams on their football schedule right now, making them. One not, of a very, lot of, not a lot of teams can say that right now. I did see that Louisiana Tech had a, and I'm I, and I'm trying. If you if you haven't checked, I'm tr- doing my best with everything going left and right to to track the cancellations up on on the site uh, at theroost.com slash community on the forum there for for all the cancellations. The the swack was was one of the conferences to mm-hmm. push things back. So Louisiana Tech lost the game with Prairie View and then in two days scheduled Houston Baptist. So that's efficient. First off, why do we have games scheduled? I think Rice has one out to twenty thirty four with Northwestern. Like if we can do it in two days, guys. Yeah, I don't uh doesn't make yeah. doesn't make no, sense. Doesn't to make me. a whole lot of sense. But as of now, Rice has the same original 12 
that they're on at Louisiana Tech, uh, uh, a reporter from there uh, said that they were they were game to come play in in the bubble, which would be an interesting experience. But, you know, oh, yes, another I think we mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. If we haven't yet, Rice has a practice bubble. Air yeah, condition, very fancy, which is inside outside, I guess. And for the worried Rice alums like me, it looks like from all the pictures that the bike track is in great shape now. So uh, don't worry about this messing with beer bike. Um, although we'll I will, I will be say happy to have beer back, beer bike back again next year. I did did walk out there and, and snap some pictures when it was going up and someone was biking around the the track and everything. It was there was, you know, some construction stuff in the way. So it was a, a bit of a. a uh, what shape is it? Not not quite an oval, a bent oval. Uh, it was a bit wider of a path, but it was still possible. Um, <laughs> and as long so, as it's deflated by the by the time of by you know before the 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 day of the races itself, and you know you'll actually be able to see people during the races, like it'll it'll all be fine. Everything's going to work out. So there you go. This this wouldn't be a rice podcast without making sure that that beer bike is held sacred. <laughs> But but for the most part, that and it's kind of nice. This was this was kind of a quiet week on the, I, I say that on, on the football centric pandemic front. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll caveat that. We'll uh, we'll see next week since uh, I think a lot of a lot of conferences and decision makers have kind of uh, circled end of July, beginning of August as sort of the, you know last date to make a decision on some things. So we could be in for a very, very newsy week. Um, so we'll see what we're talking about next week. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think the the telling point will be and it's it's kind of as as schools have kind of like, I, I don't think I've heard a peep out of U of H since early July when they shut down workouts. I, yeah. I don't think they've put anything out publicly whether or not that they've gone back or or thinking about it, but that's kind of where it's been. So as teams, uh, you know, once we get into late July, beginning of August, like right now, like it's it's strength training and, and you know, kind of classroomy instruction, having those meetings, which they've had uh, through through, you know, Zoom, Zoom, everything they've kind of been having. So it wouldn't be too far behind. But once you get into August, when you're like, OK, let's install goal line. Let's install third down, <laughs> you know, let's install the blocking scheme. Like if you can't install a blocking scheme, it you can't play football. So <laughs> once we get into August, if, if we don't have everybody back and practicing, that's when it's going to get particularly interesting. And if we've seen anything from Conference USA, they will not be the first people to <laughs> make an announcement and say, here's the plan. So we'll have to be watching other folks. All right, we are here now with our guest, uh, Aaron Coleman of Running with the Herd. Aaron, how are you, man? I'm doing good, Matthew. How are you doing? Uh, well, I'm doing good. Carter is doing <laughs> presumably <good> <laughs> all right. I mean, I've lost track of time. I don't know who people are. This quarantine life, I tell you, but it's it's almost it's almost over. Maybe allegedly Maybe. by the yeah. calendar. <laughs> yeah. So I'll tell you what, it's is it, as much as there's been a lot of nothing going on, it's it's been an interesting couple weeks in, in 
in martial football world. And I, I guess we'll, we'll lead off with the most pressing conversation point. Uh, y'all might not have a starting quarterback whenever the, well, I guess you will have one. It just might not be Isaiah Green, who we kind of thought would be the starter after he put his name into the portal last week. Can you kind of give us some background on, on what you know on that situation? And, uh, you know, is what's what's plan B and C and, and D if you need it? Well, uh, to start out with, guys, uh, Isaiah is no longer uh, with the Marshall football program um, from um, everything that I've been told. And I can't elaborate on too much, but I do know that uh, he is no longer with the university. He is no longer with the football program. And uh, to tell you the truth, it's one of those things where going into a season where we're at this point, uh, gentlemen, uh, close to 30 some days away from the college football season, um, if everything is still a go. It's, it's not a good place for Marshall to be in right now when you look at the fact that uh, he was a 23-game uh, player. He started 22 of those games. He was Conference USA Freshman of the Year. Um, and you're going into week zero against East Carolina with a quarterback who hasn't thrown a college pass in a game. And that's not something that you want to do if you're uh, Marshall, certainly. But it certainly puts the thundering herd behind the eight ball. It really does. And um, Isaiah had wrote a letter to uh, her fans on Instagram and uh, shared it on his uh, other social media accounts. And for the most part, it was it was a parting of the ways that I think needed to happen because um, there was just uh, some tension between himself and um, perhaps some of the uh, coaching staff. And it was just time that the two companies parted ways. And so what what can you tell me about about Grant Wells? Because maybe this is I mean, this is college football. It's the reason we love it, right, is that fans might tend to get a little bit over exuberant. I think within an hour of the announcement that uh, Isaiah was going into the portal, I had several Marshall fans telling me that, well, Grant Wells is the future and he's going to be the best. Uh, high praise for a, a redshirt freshman that got some, I guess, special teams action last year. But like, yeah, he did. How, he did. how much do we have to temper expectations, and and what do we know about him? The backup quarterback. Well, is always the best player on the. You have to temper expectations. That's, that's true. Carter Carter nailed it. That's a college football fact. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. I mean, you have to temper expectations because, like I said, gentlemen. Um, he hasn't thrown a single pass yet. He got in uh, one game against Louisiana Tech on the anniversary of the uh, plane crash, and he was in on a fake punt, and he got a one-yard run on a fake punt. That was the only action that he had the whole year. Now, and, and you did beat Louisiana Tech, that's correct? We did, yes. So he's 1-0. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Essentially, he is. But... Um, he hasn't, he didn't get in, um, any other action the rest of that year. So he took a red shirt year and it's different now because guys could play three or four, four games. It is, and still take a red shirt year, but he, he did not get in any of the other games, uh, 
prior to that and after that. Uh, he's a local kid from uh, Charleston, West Virginia. A lot of the people that uh, follow herd football also follow West Virginia high school football. They said that he was one of the more prolific passers that they've seen down there. And uh, from everything I've heard from uh, coaches to others, he not only has a great football IQ, but he's also uh, mobile and has a strong arm. So hopefully Grant can uh, pick up and do his thing when the season is on and when uh, practice uh, resumes for the Marshall Thundering Herd. But he's also got some quality uh, guys that are going to be pushing him as well. And uh, former uh, walk-on turned scholarship player Luke Zaban from uh, right there in Huntington. And I know that a lot of people talk about his football IQ as well. And they um, mentioned the fact that he's going to be pushing Grant for that number one job at quarterback. And now I, I it's been, it feels like forever since, since March. Was, was Marshall able to get in any of their spring practices? Did you get a chance to take a look at either um, this year? No, they, they, they were not able to get uh, – any uh, practices in uh, before the pandemic hit. They did have some uh, uh, voluntary workouts that were going on, and then those kind of paused for a little bit. But right now, um, it looks like here in the next few days or the next couple weeks or so, they're going to get start uh, getting ready for fall camp and uh, get ready for the season whenever that starts. Hopefully August 29th. Hey, that would that would work for me, and I guess in 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 lieu of having a uh, at least an answer at this point at, at quarterback, there is one sure thing if at, on the Marshall offense, if not uh, just a sure thing in Conference USA, and that's running back Brendan Knox. Is this just kind of you know write it down thousand yards, dozen touchdowns, lock it up? Is there anything that can stop this guy? Or are we looking at you know a potential? you know, all-conference player again? Definitely, uh, you're looking at someone who is going to be a first-team all-conference USA running back. He's going to be relied upon even more so than he would have been relied upon if Isaiah Green was still the starting quarterback because uh, Brendan Knox really carried the herd offense last year, and he's going to have to do the same when they're breaking in a new quarterback. We're not only talking about someone who um, shows it on the field, but also is one of those leader by example guys in the weight room. He squats 600 pounds. He's one of those guys that, you know, when he lines up with you, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a strong, determined runner between the tackles, and you're going to get a guy that doesn't put the ball on the ground. So I, I definitely think that Conference USA fans, Marshall fans, are going to see a whole lot of Brendan Knox this year. And I think it's probably it feels like every every week we've done this now, we get another uh, 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 another another person on here just gushing about their team's running back. I mean, it's it's uh, it, we're now repeating ourselves to say it, but the, the running back depth in this conference is. I don't know, sneaky good, maybe maybe is the best way to say it, like, I don't know if you like when you think about Conference USA, you're like, oh, yeah, all those great running backs. But you, you start to go through the teams. You know, we talked about Trey Siggers at um, at UNT last week. And then since you're McCormick at UTSA, like 
there's a lot of dudes at that position in this conference. And I think it's per- particularly telling about about Knox in, in light of that. When I was putting together the uh, the preseason preview, I had put together all conference teams, and you know, I I did not have Brendan Knox first team all conference USA. And I had a couple guys. I had him second team, so it wasn't like he was too low. But I had I had a a non Marshall um, uh, beat writer who helped me out, and he said, "Hey, look, dude." He should be first team. And when you get people that, that are playing against him that say there's no way this guy can't be listed at the top, uh, that's usually a positive sign. Yeah, it certainly is. And it speaks to the body of work that he's put together. If you guys remember his uh, redshirt freshman year, he was listed fourth on the death chart. He was behind Keon Davis, Tyler King, and Anthony Anderson. And due to injuries and due to some things uh, Brendan Knox was able to be elevated to that starting running back position, and he hasn't looked back since. If you look at that FAU game from last year, he won that game on the last drive. It was all about Brendan Knox. He scored the uh, what would have been the go-ahead touchdown, and uh, he's, he's definitely the workhorse and the heartbeat of that Marshall offense. So it's funny, we have not just good running backs in Conference USA, but we have good running backs that have risen from being completely buried on the depth chart because we have Justin Henderson, who was the fourth string running back at Louisiana Tech to start the year last year. And then, I mean, I guess you could throw in Gage Walker, who was on the defense and then switched over to running back and was, you know, worked his way up from not on the depth chart in uh, in fall camp to be becoming one of the leading rushers in Conference USA. So if Conference USA has a calling card, we have found it. So who's Rice's fourth spring running back right now? Would we say we got to we're identifying uh, the future star when we say that, right? That's true. I I'd have to think who would be fourth string yeah that's the thing it might be kaylin griffin i could roll with that yeah yeah that works for me (laughs) so there you go aaron put that in your notes for for the end of this season i guess marshall tentatively is scheduled to be one of rice's uh earlier conference usa games so by then maybe he'll be second string but kaylin griffin we've we've found the formula okay i mean i i that would be fine with me yeah, I mean, I, I tell you, um, you know, uh, Rice Rice has found uh, somebody in uh, Griffin that they can lean on just as uh, Marshall uh, relies upon Knox. So it should be, if anything, a battle of uh, two solid running backs, that's for sure. Well, we definitely have, I guess, probably combined more certainty there than we do uh, at, at quarterback. And I, I guess Rice actually has some some continuity on the the pass-catching front. But that's a spot that kind of has some question marks for for Marshall, at, at least last year when uh, when these two teams squared off, I was pretty, pretty easy to say, all right, go cover Armani Levius. And if you can stop him, like maybe they won't throw it all over you. And uh, yeah, there was more than one moment where I was just like, how do you stop this guy? But he's gone. So uh Who's who's kind of the next guys up? Maybe not a tight end, but the receiving core uh, as a whole. Because uh, Obi 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 Obiallo, who was 
out for most of last year. He he transferred, so there's there's a couple holes to fill. Yeah, certainly. And uh, with uh, Levias being gone, you uh, have Xavier Gaines, the kind of jack of all trades guy, who they kind of put at a tight end. He was a converted quarterback, so he has that athleticism to not only line up at quarterback. He also can line up at tight end, which is his listed position, but also you could split him out wide or put him in the backfield. So they're going to be relying upon him in a lot of different ways this year as a multidimensional player. On the outside, you're also talking about guys like Talit Keaton, who is uh, one of the punt returners last year, took one back to the house in the opener against VMI. Not only do you have him, you have uh, Brock Thompson, who is uh, going to be returning as well. And uh, Corey Gamage, who uh, scored a couple of uh, touchdowns earlier in the year against uh, VMI and uh, played well against uh, Ohio U as well. So when you're talking about weapons on the outside for Grant Wells or whoever the quarterback is uh, when the season starts, uh, you're going to be looking to those guys. And um, not only in addition to uh, Xavier Gaines, who is probably the team's most explosive player, you also have a couple of other guys backing him up at the tight end position as well. Uh, Devin Miller, who scored a couple of times. So the cupboard's not exactly bare for Marshall at either tight end or wide receiver. Those guys just have to step up, and they have to really assert themselves into the game plan. It can't just be all about the run. And a guy that I uh, almost forgot to mention, but I just remembered right now, is uh, Willie Johnson, a redshirt senior from Fort Myers, who was used on uh, end of rounds, reverses. He's probably the fastest guy on the team, and it's uh, it'll be imperative to get the ball into his hands because of the speed he has. Yeah, I'm actually just go uh, pulling up the the stat sheet now, and it looks like uh, Johnson second to Knox and touchdowns last year. Um, which Marshall, they they were even with with uh, Levius, they were or Levias, they were they were pretty spread out. There wasn't, I mean, you have some guys like um, I don't know, maybe like Middle Tennessee, where like Ty Lee was getting the ball every other play. Um, but but Marshall, his even kind of historically, like they had some 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 studs, but there's not really this isn't really an offense where I mean maybe aside from Brendan Knox, like you take one guy away. And you can shut it down. Um, but that said, it, it, it's kind of like good, not not great. W- would you say that's kind of a, a fair assessment of, of where it's been? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you know, you, you got to have guys that step up on the outside and, cre- and can create mismatch opportunities for you on the outside. But the depth that they've shown at tight end in recent years has been something to really take note of. I mean, when you look back at the early part of uh, the 2010s, when you had uh, guys like Gator Hoskins and Eric Fronapple who were making plays and uh, guys like that, of of course, uh, Armani Levias last year. And then you get into Xavier Gaines, who's expected to make a big impact this year. The tight end position has been a position of strength at Marshall. It just seems that uh, the wide receivers uh, group as a whole has to step up and uh this year i think they will i do think that they will uh i know that they're breaking in a new quarterback but at the same time um when you have when you have a guy that could go out there and uh get the ball to those playmakers i do think that 
you'll see a little bit more production from the wide receiver group this year. And so where, where does that kind of put you uh, on the whole? Last year, Marshall, uh, I'm looking, at, ended up having, you know, a the number seven total offense. So right around middle middle of the road uh, among Conference USA. Uh, is it get better this year? Does it stay at seventh, eighth? Does it fall behind? Um, wh- what, you know what's your... what? That that's a re- that's a really uh, that's a good question. I do think that there's going to be some growing pains when you're breaking in a new quarterback and you don't have and you haven't had the time to really you know prepare and get the guys together and camp and everything. But I do think that if they're middle of the pack in Conference USA as far as offense. I think that it would be solid because, you know, like I said, you're breaking in a new quarterback and you do have the best rusher in the league. You do have some multidimensional weapons like Xavier Gaines and Willie Johnson. But at the same time, you know, the rest of these guys need to step up. And I think that when you you have so much newness, especially at the quarterback position, you're going to have some some troubles. But you do return four-fifths of your offensive line. So whenever you have that, it's all about those guys protecting the quarterback and making sure that he has time to throw. So I would say that they're going to be middle of the pack probably once again. I would be highly surprised if they're higher, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're lower either. It's the worst worst situation to throw a new quarterback into than, you know, one of the best running backs in the conference and, uh, getting back all of your offensive line and, and a decent situation at, uh, at with outside playmakers. So it, it seems like it sets itself up pretty well to at least get back to, especially because, you know, last year, as much as losing green hurts, like he, he definitely didn't take the step last year that I think people maybe thought he would. Yeah, it's it's not like an an all conference quarterback is is departing. You know, maybe he had the potential to get there, right? Um, but all things considered, and then I thought this was, you know, Aaron, you mentioned the offensive line. I thought this was interesting as kind of was looking up depth charts and pulling things together. Like, there's a pretty decent chance that Marshall could be looking at a, a starting five on the offensive line of 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 all seniors and, and guys who have you know played a lot of football. That's something that's pretty rare, especially at the Conference USA level with people coming and going so often. Yeah, it's certainly true. And when you look at those guys up front, I mean, when you talk about uh, uh, Kane Madden and Will Ulmer and um, all the rest of those guys, um, Tariq Adams in there as well, Alex Millette and Josh Ball, that line right there, paved the way for uh, Brendan Knox, who was Conference USA's MVP, like we alluded to earlier in the conversation. And when you have that much experience on the offensive line, it does steady things a little bit. And for the new quarterback, I think that it's going to be comforting to him knowing that those guys are going to be up front protecting him so he could deliver the ball and get the team to do uh, what they're trying to do and which is win and score. And it's just one of those things where you look at it, if you're Grant Wells and you're like, okay, I can, I can sleep a little bit easier now because I have these guys protecting me. Yeah. And it, it helps that uh, 
if we if we pivot over to the other side of the ball, it helps that there are some familiar faces coming back. Uh, some some guys departing, but uh, I think as long as you have um, some leadership on the other side of the ball, I look particularly at Tavante Beckett. He's a guy that you know we at Rice we talk about Blaze Aldridge and in, in his potential to contend for you know all conference defensive player. Uh, I, I think Tavante Beckett is is probably right up there in the mix, and and you're looking at like a, a hundred tackle guy and, and kind of the the key for the front seven, which uh, was was pretty sneaky good, um, it, at least it, last year. Um, you know what what kind of do you see as as as, as with guys coming in and out, how do you kind of view uh, that group and, and how they were able to stand so tall uh, against the run, uh, particularly in, in some big moments last season? I think that the front seven of Marshall really was underappreciated for how they performed and the tenacity in which they performed. Because if you remember correctly, guys, Jaquan Yuli was lost for the year with that neck injury against VMI. And they really hadn't had a lot of linebackers with starting experience outside of Tavante Beckett. And he was a transfer. He was a transfer from Virginia Tech. He was a high school teammate of Uli's out in Virginia. And they didn't really have a whole lot of experience there. But guys like Tyler Brown, who has since graduated, and some other guys as well, really stepped up uh, to the forefront and that front seven really, you know, got after the quarterback and they really, you know, uh, were stout against the run last year, like you were saying. And a lot of those guys are coming back um, this year when you have, uh, you know, guys like uh, Tavante Beckett, who you alluded to, who's coming back. And uh, Kobe Cumberlander, um, who was along the defensive front, who's uh, making some plays as well. And uh, Darius Hodge. Darius Hodge was one of those guys who was a um, highly regarded uh, prospect from North Carolina. He had a four-sack game against Old Dominion, and um, he was one of those guys who was going to be um, counted on uh, heavily in this uh, upcoming season whenever it gets played. And it's just one of those things where um, if the Marshall front seven can do what they did last year, hold teams you know, to very few rush yards and hold up as well as they can in the back end with the secondary, I think they'll be okay. I do. I, I do think that they'll be, uh, you know, winning their fair share of games, and hopefully uh, that happens this year. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I just, like, I pulled up the stats on sports reference, and y'all had eight guys that had at least five tackles for loss last year, which is insane depth in terms of defensive playmaking. I mean, you lose Amari Cobb, who had the most of those at 17, which is uh, nearly Blaze Aldridge numbers, if, if I'll tie that back to a Rice reference. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're getting most of those guys back, and that's um, yeah, that's a really good base for a defense to start with, for sure. And then I think what, what probably impressed me the most with the the Marshall defense is because you look at at the numbers and they they were good pretty good but it was the the consistency of that front seven and not just tackles for a loss but I can't remember like Rice has had its its 
problems in history of, of allowing explosive plays. For the most part, the the Marshall defense, particularly on the ground, like they just they just didn't give up those many explosive plays. And this was the problem for Rice when they when they played Marshall last year is they had to get five, six, seven yards at a time. There wasn't that thirty yard carry, and and you know Rice had some pretty good running backs last year, um, but just couldn't break through. And and that's something that especially with a lot of the same personnel, you you would think that that Marshall should be able to to continue. And I, I think that the secondary is, is probably, at least from my perspective, where where there might be some more questions. You kind of have some some more trepidation on, on that end of the defense versus the front seven. Yeah, and just to put a stat on that that holding Rice real quick, the longest play from scrimmage that Rice had in that game last year was uh, a rece- one reception by Austin Trammell and a run by Giovanni Jum- Johnson both of 18 yards and that was it nothing longer than 18 yards which is really impressive it's better than i might have thought <laughs> didn't feel like that but uh but yeah the the uh the secondary what's the outlook there there that was a uh, probably the the weaker weaker half of the defense last season it it, it was in, in a lot of games and uh uh, one of the members of the secondary is now gone. Uh, Chris Jackson, who was a four-year starter uh, for the herd, he's now uh, playing for the Tennessee Titans. He was drafted in the seventh round. But you do return a lot of promising young talent in the secondary. Guys like Micah Abraham, who had that pick six against uh, UCF in the Gasparilla mm-hmm. Bowl. You also have uh, Stephen Gilmore, the younger brother of uh, Stephon Gilmore, who's uh, in the NFL now. Uh, he's one of those guys who had that game ceiling interception against FAU when uh, Chris Robinson was uh, driving down the field um, against uh, Marshall after the Knox go ahead touchdown. So you do have some talented guys back there in the secondary. You also have a uh, Jalen McLean Sapp who was there as well, who was a multi-year starter um, in the back end. So the cupboard's not exactly bare. When you're talking about the secondary, those guys are out there on the island. And I know that that was a much maligned group last year and probably in years prior. But I do think that um, they're going to have a have a pretty solid year this year. I, w- I, I almost expressed disbelief that Stephon Gilmore's younger brother was named Stephen. But I realized that would be a bit hypocritical from a Rice fan after the uh, recent careers of Aston and Alston Walter. So. <laughs> who both stuck around for for six years so <laughs> at the same time i i, I will no more walter brothers uh, at that i know of at least <laughs> I'll, I'll say that uh, unfortunately for rice and on the i guess you know putting the bow on kind of the the outlook for the marshall season you know Things were going really, really well last year for Marshall, and I, and I think if we you know look up and when the calendar turns to November, after have already beaten FAU in Western Kentucky, this is looking like it's you know the herd's year and they're going to go win the conference. And uh, you know, unfortunately, that that didn't happen. And uh, I'm not going to say that's a not a, a trend maybe under Doc Holiday, but I think it's fair to say that anybody who's been anywhere for ten years. Uh, there's kind of some some angst. So, kind of, what's the 
the state of the program, if you will, kind of tie it all up uh, under under holiday and and where are people at? Are they at the point where they've kind of I'm not going to say accepted, you know, <laughs> what, what what is or uh, or is there some some angst or just <laughs> how do we put that into into context? Well, well, guys, I mean, I'll tell you one conference title in 11 years going into 11 years for a school whose motto is we play for championships is is a little bit unsettling for a very passionate fan base and oh that's I'll tell the you official what, official model they print that on things it, when they were in the mac from 1997 to 2004 is we play for championships because they won five mac championships out of the seven years that they were in the conference it was one of the mottos that they had was we play for championships I mean, and, I believe it. That's just that's gutsy. Yeah. And when since they've been in Conference USA from 2005 till now, they've won one football championship in the conference. One. And that that does not sit well with the Marshall fan base, which is a very, like I said, passionate fan base. It's a very, you know, enthusiastic fan base. And they're right now very on edge because they feel like the program has kind of leveled out. It's it's stagnated. And they want to see their team go back to that level of championship performance again. Now, whether it happens this year or next year remains to be seen. Hopefully we have a year where it where we even play some games. I mean, you know, let's be honest about it. I mean, it's a very uncertain time and you know, hopefully this season does get started and we'll be able to see some football, uh, college football, the things that we love the most, and uh, we can go out there and see it. But um, it's just one of those things right now where um, the the natives are restless and they want to see another conference championship being hoisted again. I, th- I think that's really interesting, and, and Carter can attest to this. Uh, as we've talked from folks throughout Conference USA, we, we need a, a term for it. Is it the, the mild seat, maybe? There's there's uh, several coaches, you know, whether you can go to Jay Hobson, yeah. maybe at Southern Miss or, or Skip Holtz at Louisiana Tech, who, like, are, are not in danger of being fired. I would, I would probably put Doc in this bucket as well. But at the same point, the fan base is just kind of like, huh. Yeah, I think like college football fan bases don't really know what to do with a program that plateaus, you know, like there's always there always is sort of this perception like people either need to have the hope that they're like on the come up and like getting better all the time or they for one reason or another, whether it's true or not, decide to decide to believe that their coach can't get it done, can't get it done at all and should be fired. So I, you know, it's weird when you're in that situation where, you know, you're getting results. It's not like you're, you know, going one and 10 or one and 11 every year and you you're you're ready to pull the plug. But you're not reaching the area that you sort of expect to be in. And I think that's a very odd place for a fan base to be. And it's it's it is odd. You're right that it's like there seems to be a lot of that in Conference USA right now. It's just a, I mean, you're talking about a coach who, uh, what, I mean, you probably averaging nine wins 
eight wins over the eight, past. And yeah, I mean, I mean, he's he's averaged about eight or nine wins since he's been there, and they only had the three and nine year in 2016, and. I was looking at a five-year breakdown, and the program has kind of leveled out to some degree, but at the same time, they are winning. They are going to bowl games. But for a fan base that's seen the likes of Chad Pennington, Randy Moss, Byron Leftwich, Rakeem Cato, Ahmad Bradshaw, they're expecting more. And, and quite frankly, I don't blame them. Rice fans remember Rakeem Cato. The uh, trip he made down to Houston. So I guess we're we're at, at some point to blame. I remember that year. I do. I remember. I remember that year very well. Well, we'll try not to uh, rub too much salt in the wound, but we will. Uh, won't keep you too much longer. But before we do, we want to get you out on on the lightning round, is what we've been calling it. So, a uh, handful of questions. Uh, Quick on your think feet. We won't turn a timer on you. We we trust you guys up up north, northeast. I don't know. Everything's north from Houston, so <laughs> wherever we are, and just kind of you know, first thing comes to your mind, and uh, if you don't know what to say, uh, say nice things for Rice. You'll get a bonus point. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. Sounds good. So, will the twenty twenty football season be played? Yes. Yes. Are there going to be fans in the stands? Limited. Limited. And who on Marshall is going to lead the team in touchdowns? This feels like a gimme. Brendan Knox. Uh, that's too easy. We've got to change it. <laughs> you don't want to go on a limb? Um, Brendan Knox or Xavier Gaines. All right. We'll give you top two. That actually probably is a good chance of finishing one, two. I wouldn't be surprised. And then on the other side of the ball, who who's going to lead the team in sacks? Darius Hodge. Oh, we didn't even hit on him. Another good guy. Uh, and then if Marshall doesn't win the East, who does? Florida Atlantic. Ooh, even with a new coach? Even with the new coach. That just rubbed all the salt in the wounds of Marshall fans. Would... And aside, would it be more palatable if if FAU wins again or Western Kentucky? Oh, wow. That's a tough question. I would say probably Western Kentucky because of the rivalry that they had between uh, Marshall and Western Kentucky. But um, in answer to your question, if Marshall doesn't win the East, FAU wins the East. All right. And then uh, your pick for the the conference as a whole, if it's not Marshall, uh, FAU or somebody from the West? I still say FAU wins it. They have a lot of returning talent. And, uh, yeah, even though they're breaking in uh, a new coach, they have arguably the conference's best quarterback. It all comes down to the quarterback position when you're talking about winning football games. So I'm I'm going with uh, them if Marshall doesn't win it themselves. And we're starting to get a, a pretty good consensus now through through several guests, and that, that tends to be a trend. So uh, I could definitely see it. would not surprise me. And then uh, if we switch over some realignment gears, are, are Rice and Marshall in the same conference in 2025? That's five years from now. No. No. Where's Marshall? Uh, Marshall is in a blended regional conference uh, with teams from 
the Conference USA East Division, the Sun Belt Division, and possibly some teams from 1AA? I'd be game. Just, like, put all in a bowl and mix it up and see who falls out. Yeah. I mean, Although I, I haven't made the road trip yet to uh, Huntington, so maybe we need to get that in first. Maybe. <laughs> if it, I guess it, technically that that's on the schedule for this year. It is. It's 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 on the schedule. Um, but uh, I tell you, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you have a conference that stretches from Norfolk, Virginia, to El Paso, Texas, and you know you have teams traveling across three time zones to play not just football but any sport when you can make it a little bit more regional, more travel friendly, more media friendly. And especially when you're having teams and conferences that are going to be kind of struggling, of course, due to the pandemic and all the financial fallout that comes from that, you're going to want to save money whenever you can. And I think if you go to a more regional conference, I think that that makes more sense for not only the schools, but for the fan bases, for the media, for everyone involved. And I just think that eventually in five years, in 2025, you'll see some changes. You, you made me curious when uh, the uh, I always look up the Norfolk, Virginia, to El Paso. That's become a, a pretty, pretty trendy tagline for uh, this discussion. It's 11 hours roughly uh, from Houston to El Paso. It's it's 17 from Houston to Huntington. So you're talking like a Dallas away, which at that point, if you're going to drive 11, like, you know, might as well put some Red Bull in your Coke and keep going. Right. <laughs> might as well. Yeah, I, I think I've mentioned this before, like just to, but like so I'm originally from Birmingham. And when I came to Rice as a freshman, my sweet, one of my sweet mates was from El Paso and he had to drive farther to get to Houston than I did. Which, it's insanity. Yeah. That is insane. Poor El Pasoians. El, pa- <laughs> El Pasoian. I don't know. We need to. We'll we'll look that up for next week. Got to get some education in here. All right. <laughs> uh, tangent, but uh, wrapping things up. Final question: uh, Over under one and a half more complete seasons for Holiday at Marshall. I would say under. Really. Mm. Under, yeah. I mean, his uh, contract is uh, scheduled to be up uh, after this year, beginning of next year. He is an older uh, older gentleman. He's in his 60s. I'm not sure how much longer he would want to coach. I'm not saying that he is thinking about retiring anytime soon, but it is something in the back of a lot of people's mind in regards to uh, his future leading the program and I wouldn't be surprised if he calls it a career after this year but then again I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back from 20 for 2021 I, I mean it's just one of those things where if you look at it um, you know it, it could go either way and neither result would surprise me that's interesting we at conference USA already had Bobby Wilder another uh, decade-long tenured coach at, at Old Dominion uh, step down last season man if that were the case that'd be some some yeah. fixtures from the east that have some new faces a changing of the guard go uh go get lane kiffin again get him back here wouldn't that be something <laughs>
<laughs> there's there is a what, alternate universe in what has Lane he Kiffin done finds in, way back <laughs> in this scenario what has he done to get himself run out of oxford that quickly <laughs> it, it would be hard to say i mean you never know with old Lane Kiffin, man. He's, he's a wild card that guy but let's be real if lane kiffin was available tomorrow like there's always every year there's going to be two to three conference usa teams at least that would say yes I'll take oh, two absolutely. years of the lane train. Absolutely. Oh, we'll yeah. see. So maybe we figured it out. Elaine, you know, something goes wrong at Ole Miss. He's out in three years. Doc Holliday sticks around and, and Marshall hires him for 2024. Yeah, every Power 5 job he, he loses, he comes back and does a two-year fellowship in CUSA <laughs> and, then he, and then he gets re-promoted. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, uh, well, this was this was fun. I we you know, this is realignment and, and such is always a, a good offseason topic, which, you know, maybe we'll have more of that in the coming weeks. Maybe we won't. But before we do uh, get you out of here, where can we uh, follow you, Aaron, and keep track of what's going on with the herd? All right. Sounds good, guys. You could follow me on Facebook. You could uh, type in running with the herd and you could follow me there. Uh, on Twitter at R with the herd. Uh, you could uh, check it out there. Um, and the podcast is in a lot of places now. You can follow it on TuneIn Radio. It's also on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, uh, Spotify, um, a lot of other um, avenues for you to check out Running with the Herd. So uh, be sure to check it out at all of those locations and uh, be sure to follow on social media. I'll give you a follow back and uh, I'll even shout you out and uh, let you know um, that I appreciate your follow. So go ahead and check that out if you can. Well, all right. Uh, thanks again to Aaron for hopping on the show with us. Uh, thanks to all of you listening to for uh, sticking it through. Uh, we will see you all next week and rice fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.